So, next weekend is going to be a very uh, uh, important and significant weekend in the life of our church as we're going to be installing Pastor Larry Davis as our new lead pastor. And I'm really excited about that. And um, as he has been sharing his vision and uh, what that next season is going to look like for us as a church, I think it's going to be a wonderful years ahead of us. And I'm really excited about that. But that being the case, that means that officially today is my last sermon as lead pastor here at Northgate. I'm still going to be preaching, so it was kind of a weird, I'm not sure how to approach this, but I've been thinking about this, and thinking that I was actually ordained to the ministry 39 years ago, and uh, I've been senior, yeah, I know, but you look so young, no, um, and senior pastor here now for uh, over 28 years, and so I've been trying to think, you know, what, if, if this was going to be kind of my Last sermon as lead pastor, you know, how do you sum up 39 years of ministry in like 25 minutes? And, and what do you want to say? And, and how should I say it? And, um, and then you're probably going to sit there and go, that's it? You know, that, 39 years and that's all you got? You know, um, but I, I actually have been thinking about it a lot. Um, if, if I could share just some, some key learnings that have become principles for my whole life and ministry Um, what would I share? And this being Father's Day, um, I really do want to talk about life lessons because a lot of these things are the things that my dad instilled in me um, and that we tried to instill in our kids and now into our grandkids. So um, it it actually goes back to a passage of scripture that um, just really came alive to me years ago when I was still actually in high school and considering what am I going to do with my life um, and, and this passage kind of just came alive to me. It's actually from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter, second Corinthians, you have it in your Bible. If you want to turn there, um, I mean, it's a, actually a rather lengthy passage. It goes through chapters three and four and into chapter five and we don't have time to go through all of that. So I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights along the way. Um, but these are some key things that have became a part of my life that I would like to share with you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verses 4, I'm going to read 4 through 6, then we're going to skip to chapter 4. Paul writes this, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church was not like his relationship with any of his other churches. Um, He had actually planted this church in the city of Corinth uh, and had been there about 18 months, um, first bivocationally as a tent maker um, and in his free time then preaching the gospel. And eventually a group of Christ followers came together and that became the church in the city of Corinth. But his relationship with them was kind of testy from time to time um, because uh, he cared very much about these people, but there were a lot of issues in the church. In fact, in his letters, First and Second Corinthians, um, he addresses a lot of these kind of issues with them. And it was kind of a love-hate relationship. And, and we actually know that there were at least three letters, only two of them we have in our New Testament, but he makes reference in Second Corinthians to this difficult letter that he had had to write them. So we know he wrote at least three, possibly four different letters. We only have two of them in our New Testament. But one of the issues that kept coming up was um, that they questioned his, his motivation. They questioned his authority. They, 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 it was kind of a difficult relationship, and yet he never lost his heart for this group of people. And when he writes in this uh, second letter to the Corinthians that we have, um, and he lays this whole thing out, He's really kind of laying out his life and his ministry for them. And the things that he lays out there are the things that I have kind of taken to heart for my own life. And I think they're good, not just for pastors and missionaries and people who are vocational Christian service, but for every one of us, these are life lessons. And I want to share them with you, some things that have become pillars in my own life. And the first one is this, find out who God made you to be. Find out who God made you to be because God uniquely created you. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks in our Believe series, but you are uniquely shaped and, and handcrafted by God. He puts it this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, jars of clay, that's really, really significant because clay pots and clay jars were not mass-produced. Every one was hand-fashioned. And so when he's saying that we have this treasure in jars of clay, he's saying that every one of us is hand-shaped and hand, um, hand, um, handiwork of God. And, and, and that uh, the other thing about clay jars is that they were for everyday use, for everybody. And, and in fact, archaeological digs to this day, one of the most common artifacts that they find in archaeological digs are potsherds. Pieces of clay, pieces of these clay pots. And you can discover a lot about that culture and about that society and about that particular village by looking at the pot chairs. And so when he's talking about that, that we have this treasure, which is the life of Christ in these jars of clay, he's talking about the fact that every one of us are uniquely shaped, that, that what we are says something about our creator. And so it becomes vitally important that every one of us discover who it is that God created you to be. And that's why the last couple of weeks we talked about that so much. And many many of you took the Find Your Fit class to kind of get a sense of who is it that God shaped me. Because here's the thing. So many people go through life trying to get what they can out of it. But that is not a meaningful life. A meaningful and purposeful life is one that gives and, and when you understand what God has given you and how he has shaped you and, and gifted you and these particular abilities and passions and all these interests and all these things, you begin to discover that you have a contribution to make in this world. And you need to find out how God created you and what he created you to be because that is your life meaning. That is your life purpose. 
A lot of people choose churches because of what they will get out of them. And one of the things that I've tried to stress all for the last 28 years is the church is not for you. You are here for the church. That you are here to make a contribution both to this body of people and into this world. And you don't choose a church by what you get out of it. Now, here's the thing is, when you give into a fellowship and a church a body, you do get in return. But it's all about what you have to give. And that's why it becomes so important to find out who it is that God created you to be. Now, here's the thing about that. If you don't find out who God created you to be, there are plenty of people all around you who are being happy to tell you what you ought to be. And their opinion really doesn't matter. It's who did God create you to be? And then be that person. Now, there's two traps that we always fall into. There is the comparison trap and there is the copying trap. The comparison trap is always dangerous because when you compare yourself to other people, you will always find someone who's better at it than you are. And that will lead to discouragement. And you will also find people that you are better at it than they are. And that leads to pride. And both of those don't do you any good. Comparison is a trap. The other trap is copying. Trying to be what somebody else is. And when I do that, then I'm trying to live up to other people's expectations. That leads to a life of performance. And then I'm always trying to figure out, am I being good enough? And I know that I'm not being good enough because you can't be somebody else as good as they can be themselves. And so you end up pretending. And those do you no good either. The best thing you could possibly do is to look at how God gifted you, how he shaped you, the purposes and, and the things that he has given to you, and then be that person. Live with integrity. Because long after people have forgotten a word that you said, they will remember the person that you were. So Paul puts it this way. So we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we are. Then they can know in in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. And that's what matters most. Who are you in God's sight? Loved and accepted and forgiven by his grace. Shaped and equipped and gifted for his service. Find out who it is that God created you to be. Secondly, then, be bold in your faith. Be bold in your faith. Now, I will tell you honestly, I have never considered myself a risk taker. Very often, those bold steps of faith that I've taken in my life, I didn't realize they were bold steps of faith until I look back on them. You know, it's like, wait, you moved to a new community, you bought a house, you had no source of income, what were you thinking? (laughs) But very often in my life, what I have found was it didn't seem like a bold step of faith at the time. I look back on it and wonder what in the world I was thinking. Very often, what I found was that the God was so steering my life in such a direction that it just seemed the next logical step to take. And so we took it. Very often, and honestly, looking back on it, I'm not too sure if I jumped or if I was pushed. (laughs) But I do know that every time you take a bold step of faith, God always shows himself to be faithful for your faith. 
And we have experienced that. I have experienced that in my life. We have experienced together as a church over the last 28 years. So many different times when we came up against roadblocks or, or detours or, or situations that just seemed absolutely insurmountable and impossible. And in those moments, God came through. 20 acres of land donated. That's a miracle, folks. That we are in this building now. That's an incredible miracle. How God, in fact, it goes all the way back to the very, very beginnings. We started this church. We were meeting in our living room. We met in our living room for about nine months and kind of just talking about the kind of church we wanted to be. And, and then we got an opportunity to get a lease on the old post office downtown. But it was a mess and it needed a lot of work. And so we volunteers worked every Saturday. You know, our kids ran around while we painted and, you know, built walls and all this kind of stuff. And it was a long process. It took us months to just every Saturday working on this place, trying to get it ready to kind of open the doors and go public as a church. And to my wife's great satisfaction, get out of our living room. And, um, and so many of you who've been around for a while have heard this story, but those of you who haven't, I haven't told this story for years. Um, but we had just, we were almost ready to open the doors. We had finished all the painting, we had bought the carpet. Um, the carpet was going to be delivered, and we were out of money. The last thing we needed to do was lay the carpet so we could open the doors. And when I went and put the final payment on the carpet, the, the salesman said, well, who's going to install the carpet for you? And I said, well, I don't know. Um, my brother-in-law, he worked as a carpet layer for a few years. You know, I think he knows what he's doing. We're going to kind of figure it out. And he goes, oh, please, don't. you're going to ruin it. So he said, I'll tell you what. I will give you the name of one of our installers. He does side work, you know, on the weekends. Maybe he can do it for you cheaper, and he'll cut you a deal. Sounds good to me. So he gave me the guy's name and number. I called him. Um, we, were, we had a work day down there at the post office on that Saturday. Finished up, cleaned up the work day. Um, he showed up around 5, 5.30, something like that in the afternoon. Actually, it was late afternoon, and it was winter, so it was getting dark. And, and he came, and I met him, and he came, and he measured, and they you know, laid it all out, and he did his figurine. He says, okay. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll do the whole job for $1,800, which was quite a deal. But we didn't have $1,800. So, um, so I said, well, I said, you know, we, what, if, what if we helped you? If you did, like, the seams and the tucking, you know, with the walls and all that stuff, but we did all the grunt work and, you know, did all that. Could you cut us a break? Because we're a new church. We don't have a whole lot of money. You know, we're just trying to get started here. So he says, figure some more. He says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll do the whole thing for an even grand, $1,000. Wow, he just cut the price like almost in half. But we didn't have $1,000 either. <laughs> but I didn't know how to tell him that because he had just cut the price almost in half. So I was just like, I said, I said, okay, you know, that sounds great. I really appreciate that. I'm going to have to talk to our treasurer to find out, you know, where we're at. But I'll call you this week. I knew we didn't have $1,000. But I did call. We had actually had the phones installed down at the, at the post office. So I, I called Becky Cosmetis, who was the bookkeeper at our time uh, for the church. And I said, so Becky, so what's, like, what, what's our giving been lately? Like, how long would it take for us to save up $1,000? And she said, well, I don't know. I'll have to go back and look at the giving over the last month. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going home. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you when I get home. So on the way home, I stopped by the new post office, which is where we had a post office box. And I picked up our mail. And I put it, you know, grabbed it all with me. I sat in the parking lot there, and I'm thumbing through all of this. And in there was a letter, and the return address was from North Carolina. And I don't know anybody in North Carolina. I didn't recognize the name. I didn't recognize the address. I didn't know anybody lives in North Carolina. So I thought, well, that's weird. So I opened it up, and in there was a letter. And the letter said, 
I can't tell this story. <laughs> you don't know me, but a friend of yours, who is a friend of mine, was out visiting me this week and told me about this new church you're starting. And God laid it on my heart to send this to you. And inside the letter was a check for $1,000. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, I sat in the parking lot and bawled my eyes out. <laughs> for, I don't know, it seemed to me like at least a half hour because I couldn't drive in that state, you know. Um, and we've seen so many times where God brought just what we needed, just when we needed it along the way. And it's all because you take bold steps of faith. And I've told that story and people say, whoa, you know, and I've told other stories about how God has provided and people say, well, those are cool stories. I wish I had stories like that. Here's the deal. You don't get to tell stories like that unless you're willing to take bold steps of faith. Because it's only when you take those steps of faith that you truly discover that God is faithful. And, and here's the thing about bold steps of faith, by the way. They're totally relative. Because what might seem like a bold step of faith to you is like a piece of cake to me. But here's what I have found. Is that each bold step of faith kind of builds on the next one. And you discover that God really is faithful. And it's not about us. It's about him. This is what Paul wrote. Not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves. Our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. And that's the idea. You take the bold steps of faith and you find God is faithful and you can take the next step. Because he is making us competent as ministers of a new covenant. He goes on. So then, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Is that we can take these steps of faith because we know that our competency is not from ourselves, it's from God. And when we take a step of faith, he's always going to be faithful. So just take the step of faith that's in front of you right now. So here's my question for you Are you doing anything with your life right now that requires a step of faith? See, it's always going to be relative. But whatever that next step of faith might be for you, be bold. It might be getting involved in a ministry. It might be being bold in generosity with your finances. It might be going on a, on a mission trip. It might be joining a community group. It might be, I don't know what it is, but be bold in your faith and you will find that God is always faithful. And how do you know if it's God asking you to take a step? Well, first of all, it's going to be beyond you. It's probably going to use your giftings and your abilities and your heart it's going to be something that you'll become passionate about. It will ultimately benefit others, and it will be an investment in eternity. That's how you know it's a God step. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. You take steps of faith into the unseen. And God is always faithful. Now, I could say that every bold step I've ever taken in my life always met with success. I could say that every risk that I've ever taken had tremendous results. I could say that every adventure and every attempt just worked out perfectly. I could say that, but I'd be lying because that's not the way that it works. Difficult. Bold steps of faith are difficult. 
And they can often lead to more difficulties. So here's the thing. Trust God through the difficult times. Trust Him through the difficulties. Following God's lead is not always going to be easy. It was not easy for Jesus. (laughs) It was not easy for Paul. In fact, he put it this way. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, here's the truth. Life is hard. Life has its difficulties. And it is hard for everyone. The difference for a Christ follower is the second part of each of these. Hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Here's the deal. That God has a way of redeeming difficult circumstances. God has a way of working in the dark times. And there will be times, I guarantee you, as a follower of Christ, that you will feel like it is overwhelming to you and that God has abandoned, to you, abandoned you and that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and heaven is, is silent. Trust God. Trust God in the middle of those difficulties. Because what he does in the middle of those is always redemptive. Paul goes on. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. His life being revealed in my mortal body. See, here's the thing. If everything is, you know, up and to the right if everything is working out perfectly, then, then I am tempted to think that it is my, my success. It is my strength. It is my abilities. It is my great faith. I begin to think that I'm in control. And difficulties remind me that I am not that much in control. Difficult times are the reminder that you are not in control. That there is someone else that you have to rely on. It's been said that one of the greatest differences between you and God, he doesn't think he's you. (laughs) And it's true. (laughs) See, when it's all going well, I think it's all about me and my great abilities. And, And I'm not that great, and neither are you. But God is. We know someone who is. And and that's the deal. You trust him in all of those things. Now, it's not, I don't think, it's not that God brings difficulties in our lives to keep us in line. We do enough of that on our own. But he is there with us through the difficulties. And whether we brought them on on our own or they come on us from somewhere out of left field, he remains the strength that carries us through. Paul goes on. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That every difficulty God can use. So just trust him through it. And then the last one. When in doubt, give grace. If there's anything that I've learned or continue to learn in this life, It's learning how to give grace. I think 
one of the most important, if not the most important life lesson that any of us could learn is how to give grace. Because grace, God's grace, God's mercy is at the core of our faith. And it is the one thing that the church has to offer that it cannot get anywhere else. And sadly, too often we talk a great talk about grace. But we haven't learned how to give it. And Paul says that's the core of everything. He says, so that since through God's mercy we have this ministry. It's his mercy, it's his grace that we have anything. And being recipients of his grace means we must be able to give it. That God's mercy and his grace is restorative. It is redemptive. It is life-giving. It is life-transforming. And God has entrusted that into our hands. And so I have tried to make it a lifelong goal of learning how to give grace. And here's the thing about grace. It's not black and white. It's not clear-cut. It doesn't fit in a nice, neat policy. It is different in every situation. And so it takes constant lifelong learning on how to give grace and how to live in grace. How to work towards restoring relationships. How to let go of bitterness, resentment. How to forgive and accept. It is a lifelong lesson. And I've made my share of mistakes over the years. I know that I have disappointed people. I know that I have at times hurt people. Maybe not intentionally, but I know I have. I need grace. I've also been disappointed by people and hurt by people. I've had some of my closest friends decide not to walk that journey with me any longer. I've had people through misunderstandings or maybe correct understandings of me and my ministry say, I don't want to be a part of that. I've had people who were part of our core group of church planters decided a point not to be a part of it anymore. That's why we need grace. Because we will disappoint each other. And we will hurt each other. And we will misunderstand each other. We are frail, faulty human beings. And we live among frail, <laughs> faulty human beings. And our only hope is the grace of God. It's no mis- Everybody knows probably my, my favorite passage, uh, my favorite parable of Jesus is the parable of the prodigal son. And there's so much there. And I've preached on it often. <laughs> um, I just continue to learn from it. And I was considering it again fairly recently. And what struck me this time as I read it was the character of the father that no matter what his son had done and how he had shamed the family and how he had squandered his father's inheritance and all that other stuff, the one thing that that son knew He knew the character of his father that no matter how badly he had messed up, 
he could still come home. And I've thought, that's the kind of church we want to be. Where people who have walked away or drifted away or slammed the door and ran away or whatever, for whatever reason, would always know that this is a place you can come home. And I want to be the kind of person and want for each of you to be the kind of person that whatever disagreements or hurts or misunderstandings that may sever a relationship, that it would be thought of each of us that we are the kind of people that are always about restoration and redemption and renewal. Grace is the one thing the Christian church has to offer this world. And if we don't do it, who will? Who will? So, Paul puts it this way. All this is for your benefit. It's not about me. It's for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you're looking for that sense of purpose. Maybe you're here on that journey wondering, what am I doing on this earth? God, what did you create me? Who did you create me to be? I would encourage you, keep pursuing that. Keep pursuing it. Figure out who it is that he made you to be. Maybe you're here and you're facing one of those bold steps of faith and it's scary because you don't know the outcome. Yeah, that's the way faith is. Be bold. Be bold in your faith. Maybe you're in the middle of a difficult time right now and, and, and it does seem like God is far distant and, and your prayers are not going any further than the ceiling. Trust him. Don't give up. Maybe today there's a relationship that needs mending forgiveness that needs to be given grace that needs to be given would you just today wherever this hits you would you just say yes yes God I want to want to be the person you made me to be I want to be bold in my faith yes I I, I want to trust you in this difficulty Lord I want to be someone who gives grace I may be here today and you never experienced the grace of God. I always try to give people an opportunity to take a first step of faith. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you came in here and you've been doing life on your own and trying to figure it out on your own and you were never intended to do it on your own. God gave his one and only son who gave his life on a cross to pay for 
your sin and for mine and to give us this freedom and forgiveness in this new life. And if you've never experienced that today, you can take a first step of faith. And it's very simple. It's just a matter of admitting, God, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I've got enough failure and mistakes and sin. I need your forgiveness, but I want to put my life in your hands. And if you have never done that today, you can. And I'd love to pray with you and for you as we close. So if you find yourself in that spot today, would you just let me know by raising your hand, hold it up, look up, catch my eye, because I want to pray with you and for you as we close. All right. Yeah. 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 So would you just make this your prayer? Lord, I don't want to live life on my own. I don't want to wander this through thinking only of me. I want to live in that relationship with you. I want that life that you have for me, the life you created, created for me to live. And I've got enough failure and faults and mistakes along the way. I've got enough sin to prove I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. Would your grace cover that sin for me today? Would you free me and forgive me? Would you restore me? I'm putting my life in your hands. I want to follow you. And from this day forward, would you show me and teach me how to do that? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.